0: Word another time to be with you. I thank you, everybody in this room. We open our hearts and our minds to teach us and to grow us and make us like you. In Jesus' name, the church says, "Amen." You may be seated. I realized, like three years ago, I talked about not this lesson. It was my understanding limited (coughs) compared to now. But I taught about creation and uh, evolution and, and all those you know hot topics about the Bible. Sometimes we get so out there in uh, biblical deepness and revelation, the mysteries of God and everything. And we forget to, to come back home, back down the hatches, make sure we believe what we believe about the simple things, the initial things, the first things. And believe it or not, within the church, even the like real church, saved people, Genesis 1 and 2 are subject to much debate and, and a scrutiny and all these different things. So today I want, to, uh, I want to address evolution, I want to address creation of man, I want to address time, I want to address it all. So if you to open your if you have a journaling Bible, I'm going to be preaching from Genesis 1 and 2. So you can drop down some notes and go with me, that's where I'm going from. I'm going to read Genesis 1 like straight through and stop on the way at each day of creation and preach each point. So take some notes, listen to this later on the podcast, and we'll go and say a lot. We'll cover a lot of ground tonight. So I'm talking today about how God created everything. Genesis 101. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. He spoke it. He said it, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning. And there was the first day. Notice, it's not until day four that he makes sun, moon, and stars. But on day one, he said light and darkness, day one is over. He had light and darkness. He said when the light ends and the darkness begins, that's the shows when the first day ends and begins. But on day four, he gives man the ability to measure time. He said, I'm going to give sun, moon, and stars to measure seasons, but the day one is really a day one. Someone told me one time, and I realized a lot of people believe this, that time really doesn't start until day four. That's literally what they said, because there's no way to measure time until day four. I was like, okay, let me ask you this. Is something true when God says it's true, or is it not true, even though God said it, until I can manage it and measure it and see it in my own eyes? Well, obviously we know Just when God says it's true, it's real. And then when I get to see it, it just validates it. So if God said that it was day one, light and darkness, without sun, moon, and stars to measure it, I trust that God meant it was a literal, physical day. So if time's going to start anywhere, time starts on day one. God set a framework. Now I know the Bible says that a thousand years to us is like one day to God. It's meant to show his, his power and his limitless nature and eternity, all these magical things, okay? But this is not what it's meaning here. God is setting up a literal day. Why? Because if this is not literal, the rest of the Bible can't be literal. If these literal days are not a literal 24-hour day, then the rest of the Bible cannot be literal. We can't take anything for sure because God is setting up his whole world. Reality as we know it, everything about us is being shaped by this man's creation. The clock is ticking. And so when it says that this was day one, we have to leave this day one, But certain good saints believe that, well, maybe, you know, it's abstract. It's not really a real day. It's allegorical, and they use the verses. There's certain reasons why you may be tempted to do that. Number one, we want to correlate science with the Word of God. So Christians say, well, maybe not literal. That's why we can say it took millions of years for the earth to evolve and man to evolve. See, science says millions of years, so maybe it wasn't literal. And so we try to fit the Word of God with science. But here's something. As we go through this, God said, "Let there be," and there was, and there was cattle, and there was sea creatures, and there was birds, and there was plants, and everything. And it was God made the whole earth in maturity, meaning He didn't make a bunch of baby trees. He said, "In day three, He spoke, and then it was on day He spoke." And there was. He spoke seeds and there was trees. It said that there was maturity and growth. He didn't wait to say, I'm going to speak the propensity or the ability. He said, there's there's cattle. There's not a bunch of eggs laying around. And all of a sudden you have reptiles one day. He said it was by the end of that day. God made Adam as a man. You know why he made Adam as a man? Because God made Adam. And then like shortly after he gave Adam a woman. and said, be fruitful and multiply. He gave him a command that he had the capacity to do. He was not seven years old. He was made a maturity. So if I'm a secular scientist, and I'm trying to understand creation without the Bible, and I reverse engineer and try to measure out how long it took for this earth to become in the state that it is, if God made everything a maturity and I didn't realize that, then you could see why my timeline would be off, given all the other errors. God didn't make everything small and tiny. He went ahead and made it all maturity. And so they're measuring from the wrong beginning. Okay? Also, a worldwide catastrophe like a flood that reshaped the whole earth and made mountain ranges and ravines and, and canyons over a, a very dramatic period could reshape and age the world dramatically. So if you don't believe in God, but you're looking at the ruler and saying, this doesn't match up, it's because you're not taking account. The Bible explains itself. Okay? Explains the flood and everything going on. So, we have to believe though that it's literal, that it's a literal day because it falls apart. The whole Bible will not stand up. The genealogies in the Bible are meant to help you count down to Jesus. Like, it, time matters to God. It's meant to count down to Jesus. After Jesus, it stops keeping genealogies. Have you noticed that? There's not genealogies in Acts and so on. It just stopped because Jesus' purpose. BC and AD, it was counting out to Jesus. If time is not real and it's all relative, doesn't matter to God. then then we just lose everything. The second reason why we don't like to say time is literal in Genesis is because we think time, death, time, decay, time, gray hair, and love handles. That's what we think when we think about time. Oh, man. Time was not an ally of bad stuff. Time, which is a measuring of time. So when God said day one, he said it's good. Day two, it's good. Day seven, it is good. He said it's all good, and so time only became a measurement of our dying after man sinned so when he made the clock he didn't stop the clock we think that the garden of eden you know heaven point one that there was no time and and god didn't measure why would god say day one day two day three day four day seven and then say stop perfection you just go frolic around you go running the trees you and adam and Eve, you just live your life and then when you sin i'll stop the clock again God didn't make anything sinful, so time isn't sinful. So there's no reason for him to stop it. He's measuring everything. And it's important because it all matches up. One of our temptations is to think that time is sinful. We don't realize it's an assumption that time is is bad. But it wasn't bad. There's a reason why God uses it. He was measuring every good day he had with Adam. He's measuring every day until he redeems us. Time matters to God. You serve a God that has detail. He's rational. He's order. He's not ambiguous. It's on purpose. It's on purpose. And God said, this is the next day. And God said, let an expanse in the midst of the waters... And let it separate the waters from the waters. Now when I read that let there be an expanse to separate waters from waters, you think land, right? That's not land happens in the next day. And let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that are above the expanse. And He called the expanse heaven. Next day, he says, now, all of the water that's below heaven, I want land to form and separate it." And he called the waters seas, and he called the land earth. But in the second day, he separated water above from water below, and he called the separation heaven. He made an atmosphere. This is very important, okay? That means some kind of water is above the heavens. And then there's water, as you know it, like rivers and oceans and like drinking water below the heavens that land is within what is this water you ever read that Make make confused? like what is, the kjv says firmament separate the waters of above and waters below what is he talking about well that answers the question about time Well, merit if time is real then why do you see crazy numbers that people are living forever people like 900 years old no 90 years old adam 900 years old and we don't live that long what's up with that Biblical theologians, biblical scientists, scientists that believe the word of God is inerrant, they believe the waters above is God describing, not literal like floating waters, but vapor, water in a different form, the same water that forms clouds, that there was a thick canopy, it's called the canopy theory, that God gave us a sky and atmosphere, but above it was a thicker atmosphere than we have today. Okay? Whenever it said that the world was being flooded in Noah's time, it said two things happened. The waters of the deep below the earth cracked and came out. Besides say, well, it couldn't rain enough to flood the whole earth. Well then it said, and the windows of heaven were open, and water just fell out. What they believe happened was is this thick atmosphere condensed like a cloud like we see and it dropped rain. Imagine a whole, imagine a whole cloud covering the whole Earth, and how much rain that would cause. They found tropical plants in Antarctica. Even secular science will tell you that the whole Earth used to be tropical. And they're like, I don't know how that it could have happened. Like I don't know, maybe the ice ages. So they think, well, the whole Earth could be tropical if a thick atmosphere insulated the whole planet and caused a greenhouse effect. I can tell you're trying to a greenhouse effect. We're booking. It. Ever been in a greenhouse? Ever been in your car on a hot day? It is hot, it is toasty. It can even be cold outside, but it's warm in your car because the sun causes a greenhouse effect. And what the Bible is trying to tell us is there was a greenhouse effect. The whole earth was tropical. It was amazing. And then he dropped it to condense to punish the earth. Here's another thing why we believe this. And it gets back to time. Stay with me. They were all told, God told Adam and Eve, I want you to eat of the plants. He said, all the plants are your food, not the animals yet. They were vegetarians. After the flood, Noah gets off the ark and God immediately says, as I gave you all the plants for food, I now give you the animals. Why does God care what you eat? Because we know now that your cells are damaged by the sun's radiation. And we know that protein from meat rebuilds the cells, that protein, amino acids, are the building blocks of the cells. And so now you need it in your diet. What God was telling them is now you're exposed and you now need this in your diet. It's very intentional. Vegetarians living in this protected world. Afterwards, now you need to eat meat. When you Don't believe me yet? When you see the lifespans, let me tell you, Adam, 900 years old. Noah, 950 years old. After the flood, Noah's son. One generation later, Shem, he lives 350 years less, his son 437, his son 433, his son 464, and Peleg, five generations later, only lives 200 years. It's dropping. If you lived 900 years and your kid died half the lifespan, you'd think something's up. It dropped dramatically. Imagine if your great-great-grandkids are only living 25 years. You would think something is wrong. It was because they now were exposed to a harsher world. God made the world of perfection and sin was taking its toll. And one of the biggest causes, consequences of sin was God took off the protection and he allowed This world, this university created to begin to take its toll on man. They begin to die. Their lifespans drop dramatically because they begin to live in the world that we know now. And it caused them to age quickly. So, me and Silas were talking about this the other day. About time and, and so on and so forth. Their calendar was different than our calendar. I looked up what the margin of error is. The margin of error for the hebrew calendar is 388 days 355 days 330 days but every time theologians and rabbis talk about it they always had a calendar that was within about 30 days from our modern calendar 30 days within the the roman judeo-christian heritage calendar that we have so let's count the margin of error So when you're reading the genealogies and you're looking at time, here's how you know how accurate you are compared to your Bible. It's not that the Bible's wrong. It's just using a different calendar than you are, okay? So the margin of error, let's say the, the Hebrew calendar is 30 days longer than our year, okay? 30 days longer. It would take 12 years for 30 extra days on each year to account for one year. So every 12 years, somebody is going to be one year older than what our calendar says they should be. If you go and it's, it's say their calendar is shorter than us, every 12 years, 30 days shorter, they're going to be one year younger than what they would look like on our calendar. Would that cause a big difference? Would that make the whole genealogies fall apart? Well, if someone is 80 years old on our calendar, they'd be 86 on their calendar. Six years margin of error. If, if, if someone lives to 800 years old, they'd be 866 years old on our calendar, 860 years old on our calendar. So really, nobody's living that long anymore. People stopped living that long well before Jesus. And so the longer the Bible goes on, the more it gets closer to our calendar. So when you read it, when you think you, think you see an error, you don't you just realize the Bible wasn't written in English for an American audience. It was written initially for our great, great ancestors of faith. So if you use that lens when you see that. And now when you look at Jesus and you look at the disciples and you look at all these things, there's like two or three years could be off. You get the 900s back then. I mean, you know, instead of 900 years old, he was like, you know, he was like 840 or something. It means they're old. So you understand the idea. But I want to make you understand that it's not, you can't just say, well, time's relative. It's wrong. The Bible's inaccurate. Time matters to God. He's building a world of order and framework. And that's why you may see a difference. So then let's get into dry land. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the waters were gathered together. And he called the seas. They called. And he said it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruits, trees bearing in which is their seed, each according to their kind. He's saying Plants, I want you to drop seeds, and your seed, I want you to produce the same thing you are. I'm going to read this, and I want you to notice every time it says, according to its kind. On the earth, and it was so, and the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kind, and the trees bearing fruit, which is their seed according to their own kind. And it goes on and on and on. He says, On the fifth day, skipping down, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth and the expanse of the heavens. And God created great sea creatures and every living creature that moved in the waters according to their kind. And every winged bird according to its kind. And so on and so forth says about the land animals, cows, cattle, what does that mean? God knew one day that we would be confused. He's saying that every kind of animal has a Dog kind, cattle kind, bird kind, that they they all have one ancestor in each class of kind. Evolution, the Darwin evolution teaches that every living creature has a unified, a a starting start point, like a tadpole. We all came from a tadpole. The Bible teaches it doesn't. God created every kind of creature initially. Every kind of creature had an ancestor that He said, Now go and multiply according to your kind. What does that mean? That means that it will only have more of itself. It will have different variations, but a dog would never become a cat, and a frog would never become a fish, or vice versa. It's saying that though there are changes within a dog, you got pajans, you got poodles, you got wolves, you got all these different kinds of within the dog kind, it never jumps its species. And even now, if you looked up YouTube, Darwin's Delusion, there are secular scientists teaching universities saying, you know what, it's impossible. Because they can put DNA into a computer and run the algorithm. They see that there's never a mutation enough where a fish can jump and become an amphibian. There's no missing link. It's an impossibility. They call it Darwin's Delusion. You can look it up. So God is saying, he is saying that each type of animal will produce itself. And he cannot produce anything but its kind of self. It's very important in today's world. Each according to its own kind. You plant an apple tree, you're only going to get an apple tree. So on and so forth. Why am I saying this? Well, how do you fit all of the animals on the ark? How did Noah do it? Two of each kind. And then seven pairs of each kind of clean animal. How do you do it? Okay, if you picture that he's taking poodles, he's taking he's taking all these different kind of animals, then it won't work. You gotta understand that he didn't have all the animals we have in that he had a he only had to take the ancestor of each. So there's the ancestor of every kind of horse you can imagine. There's the ancestor of every kind of dog you can imagine, there's the ancestor of every kind, every kind of a birds of prey, or every type of you know, whatever I don't even know what the classification for chickens are. I think it's just chickens. There's the ancestor, all he needed was the ancestor that would produce all the variations. That's all he needed. Let me explain it this way. This is obviously an exaggeration. It happens hundreds and thousands of years through this. We do believe in survival of the fittest. We just don't believe because your body told you that you need to fly. You're going to sprout wings a million years from now. But this, it's, it's um, survival of the fittest, it happens this way. Let's say that mommy and daddy bird meet each other. They like each other very, very much. So when I start a bird family, you can fill the details, go home and ask your parents. And so they some of you are too young to laugh at that heart about that too. They have four baby birds, right? This happens over generation family exaggerating for us. Four baby birds. And mommy and daddy bird had small bees. Okay? Dog birds you see around here. They eat seeds. they can't crack open to certain types of seeds and fruits and nuts. They can't do that. So they eat what they are comfortable eating because they don't have the ability to you know, get into that. So they have four babies, and three of their babies turn out like them. And they thrive in a little area. But one baby turned out a little bit different, just like you. <laughs> he had a big beak, okay? Because it was a slightly bigger beak. Not that much bigger, just a little bit bigger. had a little curve on it. All of a sudden, he can attack certain types of fruits and nuts that they couldn't. And he starts out eating everybody. Well, now his brothers and sisters, mom and dad, are getting a little uncomfortable. Like, he's really killing it here. Maybe we should go to a different place where he's not out eating us. Because then Big Beak Baby finds a Big Beak female and they get married. And over generations, you know what happens? That slightly larger beak, inbred, now all of a sudden their great-great-grandkids have huge beaks. And they're out eating all their cousins with their little beaks. Oh, man. It's science. (laughs) And so what happens is you now have... Within the bird kind, different variations of birds with common ancestors, just because over hundreds of thousands of years, one developed a trait that's better for this. It's like you quitting a job because, like, I'm more suited for this. You didn't evolve into different kind of person or anything weird. You're not, you're not anything outside of a human, but you knew I'm more comfortable here. I'm going to go with my natural talent. That's what happened within each kind of animal that began to diversify. You take an animal. Bajons didn't exist. 30, 40 years ago. he took it and they bred it and they created it. He did not have Matt mac that's the inside joke, on the ark. He didn't need to. He had a killer of a wolf. He had Balto the wolf on that ark. He didn't need Matt mac And so what evolution thought was, the reason we got all these things because they jumped around, we do believe it's survival of the fittest. It just escalates, okay? And all of a sudden, you have different kinds of birds within the bird kind, different kinds of hounds within the dog kind. You understand? It just, it develops that way. So, he didn't have all these different things. It just happened this way. So, look up Darns of Delusion. You like it a lot. It was, you know, it's pretty good. If you love listening to grown men ramble for three hours. So, let's get to man. And God made man. This is day six. Then God said, let us make man our own image and after our likeness. And let it." Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over every livestock, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, the word here, so God created man in his own image. The word here actually means Adam, too. See, they're trying to, the word... Man also means Adam, and the name Adam also means man. So they're trying to understand the context. Like, is it referring to specifically Adam, or like all people like Adam, like mankind? Well, she knows very closely, though, it says, And God made the saying, God created Adam in his own image. In the image of God, he created he, him. Male and female created them. In the next chapter, it says that he took a rib of Adam, because Adam needed a helper, needed a friend. He made woman. Woman means like from the womb of man, from man, like man, in likeness of man. So, it's saying, it's saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, And God made man in his own image for his glory. And he made woman in the image of the glory of man. It says, For man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. And so it sets up a hierarchy, it sets up a relationship. He made Adam to have dominion, He made Eve to be his helper, He made them both to tend their garden. This is important. I won't get all of this because we did this in holiness. But he, he made them this way He made Adam in his likeness. He said, and God walked in the garden. He made Adam to walk in the garden like God. God brought every living creature. It said to Adam, and he let Adam name them. Must have been people think Adam's ignorant. It could have been embarrassing. I don't know. Adam, what do you want to call this giraffe? Uh. Like it could have been embarrassing. But I think Adam was a pretty smart, dude. God didn't make these little ignorant people running around with cherubim harps. Okay. He made him perfection. Imagine if you were perfect. Okay, I don't believe in ignorant Adam and Eve. Like, ooh, what's that? It's shiny. He made them in perfection. And he let Adam tend heaven point one and name all the creatures because he made man in his image. That meant he made man in his likeness, physically, spiritually, all the above, mentally. It was amazing. He made man to multiply and fill the earth and subdue it to have dominion over everything. Now watch this. He told Adam and Eve, they're perfect, they haven't sinned yet. Multiply and fill the earth. He told them to have babies before they ever sinned. People get this idea that sensuality, sexuality, it's only sinful. That these ignorant two little teenagers running around the, in, in perfection, they had no idea. That when they ate of the knowledge of good and evil, all of a sudden they realized what, what, what sex was. All of a sudden they had a eureka moment. Listen, it was a gift from God in perfection, it wasn't a symptom of sin. We're so raised in in a good pursuit of being pure. Sometimes we let our minds go the wrong direction and we think they only were given the permission because it's icky and yucky. Actually, it's a gift of a perfect garden. God gave them the gift of it. To be fruitful and multiply. Here's where time is important. Okay? It looks as if, I believe, Adam and Eve did not have kids in the garden, even though God gave permission. Well, why? Why would they not have kids? What makes you wonder, how long were they in the garden? You know? If God said to have kids and they had no kids, maybe they were in the garden that long. It says that and Eve had Cain and Abel after they left the garden. Okay? And we know that Cain was her first child because she said, Behold, God has given me a man. Like God, it's a big deal. God gave me a boy child. Wow. What do you do? So Abel's her second child. They had Seth after Cain killed Abel because she said, For God has seen me and known me and helped me with the situation. She gave me Seth. Why is Seth important? It tells us how old Adam was when he had Seth. It said that Adam was 130 years old when he had Seth. Didn't I tell you that God, why would God stop the clock? 130 years old is when he has his third son. Cain and Abel were probably adults, right? I mean, they're old enough to pick up a rock and kill one of them. So they're adults. So let's say within 130 years, Adam was in the garden with Eve. From one year to 130 years. But then you have to subtract out how long are Cain and Abel, how old are they whenever Cain kills Abel. So you have to subtract out their lifespan within the 130 years because they had Cain and Abel after the garden. So then you see they're they're in the garden maybe only 100 years at the most but probably less. Let's say that Cain and Abel are older because they live longer and they're having kids at 70 and so on and so forth. What happens if they were older and they had Seth later in life? Then you subtract even more. All of a sudden you can see Maybe they weren't in the garden that long. Maybe it just happened quicker than we understood. And that's why they didn't have kids. But time is important. And what we can say confidently is this. Is that Adam and Eve lived in the garden no longer than that time of allowed, Because when God said day one, day two, day seven, and Adam was alive. He said he lived 130 years. You got to believe the Bible really means he actually lived 130 years that every year in the garden was counted for. And so the only reason why we believe anything other is because we want to fit evolution in millions of years in this ambiguous slot in perfection in the garden. Have you heard that before? Like, we don't know how long they're in the garden we could, they could have had evolved and all these different things. But when God said, Adam, lived 130 years, there can't be a loophole. Otherwise, the whole fabric of reality, everything falls apart and the Bible can't be trusted. If we're going to believe it, we better believe it, right? And Adam lived 130 years and he had Seth. So it shows us that they could have been in the garden as little as one year, two years. My personal opinion is they weren't in there that long. Because the longer they're in there, the worse, I mean, the worse it gets, really. I mean, the fact that they could have learned, they could have understood, hey, this guy Satan's been creeping around a long time, talking weird stuff. I, it, it just it looks and feels as if, personally to me, they weren't in there that long. And that's where the story is so tragic. He had just given them a gift, and they squandered it so quickly. So... We go into chapter 2. And it says in chapter 2, verse 5. And when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field was had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain in the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist came up and watered the whole face of the ground. If you read this out of context, you'd think he's saying the whole earth had no plants. But it's saying that a part of land... An area, a valley of sorts, didn't have any plants. Because of day three, it says, let the seeds bring forth life. And then he said, and they brought forth life, so it was good. So the earth is growing, okay, on day three. This is happening on day six, because then it says, and he formed man. Why am I teaching you this? Why is this important for your life? I get it, okay? Why is it important? It said, and then after he formed man out of the grounds, you know, we say man's special, right? Man's not like animals. But you know when you hear signs like, man, we're like really closely related to pigs. You've heard that before. We're really close related to chimpanzees. And then people get confused. Like, are we? I don't know, but that's confusing. Why are we made that closely? It said, and God made every land animal out of the ground. And then it said he made man out of the ground. The reason why we share common traits with other land creatures, we all come from the same beginning. What was different about man, though? Is that in God, breathe life into man. That's the difference. Soul, sentience, being, significance, eternal being. He breathed that into us. But the reason why your body scientists say you came from this or that, they see similarities, is because you all came from the earth, so there are similarities. God used a good thing. He's like, I've been, I'm pretty intricate. He used, there's a commonality in all of his creation, but what's special about us, he breathed his life. He breathed existence as he knows it into us so we can be in his image. That all being said, he didn't make the Garden of Eden until after he made man. And it said he made man, breathed life into him, then he caused in this barren place, he caused life and trees to spring up every good thing and he put man in the garden. I'm teaching you these things because there is a false spiritual idea that creeps into the church. That being more spiritual means that you hide out in the wilderness and you don't care about your job, your finances, your spouse, your family, that you just give your time to prayer and fasting and you don't take care of anything logical, anything common sense. And you hear this a lot, especially new converts struggle with this. That to be more spiritual, I, I just fleece this world. The early church did it. Paul said, go back to your work. Stop waiting for the rapture to happen. You're going to be broken, hungry. That's not what God wants you to do. He said, to eat, you must work, Paul said. When you read all this, this is your promise too. This is the contract God signed with man and woman. He said, I am giving you dominion. Meaning that you can do what you want with it, but be a good steward of it. If we're not careful, crazy stuff will creep in. Like, you know, some people think trees are like have more rights than you do. He said, I've given it to you to eat and to steward intent. Some people believe in our world right now that animals have more rights than you do, more rights than an unborn child. The Bible says that we have dominion over every creature to do what we want, and now we can eat them. These are important things, believe it or not, because you're, they're great, great, great grandparents would have been shocked if their kids are like holding up Peter signs. Okay? We have dominion over it. But that also has responsibility. No matter what garden you're in, God will not give it to you until He makes you to be someone that can tend it. He made man, then He gave him the garden. Let me make it plain. Your life as a whole, your relationship... With your family, your relationship with friends, your relationship with your future spouse, your ministry, your job, your career. Everything is your garden. This life, your job, it's all a garden. And God is demanding that you tend it. That God demands that you have personal responsibility. I know it sounds self-explanatory, like, duh, but I'm trying to sow some seeds so weird things don't get in our lives. It's God's will. He said if you don't feed and provide for your family, he said you're worse than an unbeliever. These things, being more spiritual does not mean you're less physical and you're not a hard worker and you don't take care of your business. God would never want you to put your family or yourself in an illogical position. God believes in hard work, believes in tending your garden. Work was not a symptom of sin. He said, Adam, I've given you perfection. Now work on it and tend it. Okay? So, different areas of your life. You think God being more involved means less work for you. Like, if God's in my... Marriage, I'll have less work. And if God's in my ministry, I'll have less work. And if God's in my mind, I'll have less work. And if God's in our church, we'll work less. No, no, no. You're going to work every day. It's hard, but it's a gift. It was the pain and the suffering assigned to work that was a symptom of sin. But the act of work and exertion was a gift from God. He said, I gave you a garden, and now you got to tend it. We've been given a chance to have dominion. I'm telling you that when you walk in with God, And you understand that this whole world, physical, spiritual, emotional, you are bearing his nature as God governs this world. He wants you to govern as well.